Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for joining us. We have our dear friend, dear friend of the podcast, Evan Harris here, and she's been on an episode sort of before. We talk a little bit about that. We have a really fun chat about comedy as a whole. And just a little update, my house team at the Magnet Theater Glitter was renewed for another season. Also, recent guest Donna Steele, her team also renewed. So come check both teams out, Janet and Glitter, every Wednesday night at the Magnet Theater. All right, well, let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with Evan Harris. Welcome back, because you have been on the podcast, but it was a special episode. Yeah, I'm sure many loyal listeners will not remember because it was an offshoot episode. Yeah. <laughs> like a test thing we were doing where we goofed on Supergirl the movie yes. while watching it. Sort of like Rift Tracks or Mystery Science Theater 3000. You could just play the movie and our audio or video at the same time. Yes, and and, and, and I think it sparked a couple think pieces post-recording and publishing. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking about? I just feel like I remember seeing all of a sudden after after we had talked about it that people wanted to talk about it in oh. articles. I forget what their their even angle was, but I was like, we already did this. I did not know that. That is very well, interesting. Yeah, well, people, people like, can go and check that out, but you are officially here as a guest. We're going to talk about comedy. You and I met in Greenville at the Alchemy Comedy Theater. We, we met did. at Alchemy first, right? It wasn't no expectations for it. What did you do first, stand-up or improv? I did improv first. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you got into stand-up, and now you're doing both. And a little sketch. You've done some sketch. I did. I did. Uh, I do. I have. I will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the things, yeah. <laughs> and so you're from Greenville, though, but I didn't know you uh, until Alchemy. You also went to the same college that I went to, Winthrop. But I yeah. I didn't know you there because we were, you know, years apart in age. <laughs> graduate? I graduated in 02. Oh, yeah. I will be the courtesy of agreeing. <laughs> so we were not, we did not overlap. Comedy was not a thing at Winthrop when I was there. Was it when you were there? I mean, I was very funny there. Um, but no. <laughs> doing comedy. I wasn't doing was, comedy. Yeah. I remember the have-nots coming to do shows. Okay. There was that improv, and then I took an improv class in the theater department. Yes. Uh, which was not a great class, no shade, but it just it wasn't an improviser who was teaching. It wasn't someone who has had experience with improv. They just they were an acting teacher <laughs> teaching an improv class based on a book that we we barely used, okay. and so it wasn't great. But we did a show. Hey. <laughs> No, we didn't. I didn't do anything. I was like, I was doing golf and I was doing art and I was an RA. So like, had my hands full. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I was an RA. I still did that class. <laughs> well, listen, I'll still tell you why. Show. 
So then show I didn't it. have any Friday classes. And if I took improv, it was going to be like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I was like, in no world will I have a five day school week just for improv. And so I didn't take it. Yeah. Well, I kind of wish something was going on there when I was there. I actually should have just started it. Talking to people on here, a lot of them just started stuff in college. I didn't. Like, oh, I, well, I guess I should have done that. Yeah, would you have had the inclination? I certainly, like, I I've didn't always... have the thought. I, I, yeah, I didn't know about long form improv. It was just short form, which I didn't feel suited for. And that class made me really hesitant to do short form. Yeah. Because we weren't taught. Like Alchemy did a really great job teaching short form and how to yeah, do it, how to do improv. And so I was immediately able to get out of my head. And like I took the intensive, the one-on-one intensive at Alchemy. And just by the half day mark, I was like, this was a more informative class than the semester that I took <laughs> of an improv class. And I, I just felt more like I knew what to do and what not to worry about. I agree with you. I think because I do a show now here in Santa Monica that's a long form hour of improv, but we do short form games that like are seamlessly woven in. And when we were casting it, I was pulling a lot of people from like UCP and Second City. And and I was like, it's so easy. You guys have been doing improv for so long because we've met doing it. And then finding out that a lot of them just had zero short form experience. Yeah. And it, and I was like, how? But Alchemy's foundation is so different than other. Yeah. And uh, and I was like, what? Um, what do you mean you've <laughs> never played New Choice? You're like, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, but it's a nice foundation, what Alchemy has. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's it was fun to do short form. It's It was easy. It's easy to sort of hate on short form when you see people do kind of hacky stuff. Mm -hmm. but the experience I had at Alchemy with short form was fun. Like I was, I always had a good time jumping in on the short form show. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I am like, lose. no, I like short form as far as I can throw it physically. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But it is nice. I don't love it. It's not what I mostly want to do. And I don't yeah. think I'm particularly great at it, but it was, it was a fun time. Man, I do kids. I do short form kids improv here in Santa Monica. And I do love it for the thing, which is like, the stakes are so low. If we get off on a, on a bad foot in a minute, it's done and we can try again. <laughs> so you mentioned you're out in California, but while you were still in Greenville, South Carolina, you started doing stand-up and yes. you were doing stand-up a bunch, just like you were doing a lot of improv. What made you want to really focus on both? I, great question. I don't know. My whole life, my whole life, people were like, you should do this thing. I'll mm -hmm. uh, stand up. And I, boy, was I worried that like, I wouldn't be good at it. Just like, just for like full strangers, I would like tell a very personal story in a charming way. People like, do you perform? And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> uh, and they're like, you should, you should be performing. And then, <laughs> and everyone tells you how hard it is. And so I was like, no, not for me. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that was when I was a teenager, when I was little, I was like, I want to be an actor and comedian. And when I got to be a teenager and I sort of recognized comics had a sort of shtick yeah. or a character, I was like, oh, well, I'm not 
I don't have a shtick. Like, I don't have a thing. Like, Robin Williams has a thing that he, like, he has a thing that's true to him and what people associate with him. I don't have a thing. So I just divorced myself from the idea of doing comedy until I was 30, wow. which I wish I hadn't, which is probably why I didn't. You, you asked a few minutes ago when we were talking about college, if I had the inclination, no, I wouldn't have had the inclination. Yeah. I think if I had chosen, I, I we did acting as kids for a little bit and I was like, oof, I just wasn't, I didn't receive enough praise. Mm. That's, to be fully amount of fact, uh, to say I was good or bad, I don't know. But mm. like, not enough people were like, oh, you're good at this. <laughs> yeah. And so it's yeah. like, better just leave it. And so <laughs> right. then I was like, I can be good at sports. Is, sports is one of those things where people are like, you you can hear adulation immediately. It's so mm -hmm. visceral. Mm. And and I was good enough at that that I was like, I guess sports, that'll be the thing I do. That's that is that's a good point because you know, if you shoot a basket and you make it, then you you made it the shot. You almost don't even need anyone to cheer because you're like, yeah. Well, I already know I can do this. <laughs> you know, like I looked yeah. at my stats at the end of the game. I know I can play. I don't need anybody to tell me I'm special at it but right. with art it it is that because you're like you put something out there and people may laugh people may don't if you're acting in drama mm -hmm. it's not like there's no response to that so you know you could be someone who should keep doing it but you don't have stats to look to to tell you that you should and you know yeah. maybe it's different now because like we did we were always playing with the camcorder and filming, but like mm -hmm. watch it back was such a process of like, you got to hook it back into the TV. And you know, like, <laughs> well, I, like as kids, we were always like making movies and, and doing that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But like individual funny, I don't know. I don't know how long it would have taken me to do stand up, but you called me. I was playing soccer in the area and you called me to go open up the No X open mic. Mm -hmm. And that's why I started. And, that, and that's why I tried stand up. That's why you tried to stand up? Yeah, I just, yeah, I was like, I had mentioned it, I think, to you that I wanted to do it. And <laughs> then you were like, hey, you're downtown right now, right? And, <laughs> and at, like, halftime, I went to go open up the mic <laughs> and did, like, maybe five minutes. And I got a standing ovation. Thank you so much. And I couldn't enjoy it because I had to run back to the game. That's how small the downtown was. You know, like that, that was no traffic. <laughs> That's crazy. I didn't remember that it was like that, that you had to like rush out right away for I mean, because you're in the soccer, middle of a game. Full soccer kit. Yeah. Cleats and everything. <laughs> you know, it's I was so flying. I was flying by the seat of my pants so much while I was there because I was doing tons of stuff each week that it's hard to remember those specific details. So like I didn't like I wouldn't have remembered that it was that you had not done it before and you would you were interested. I I yeah. there's a chance I thought you had done it. <laughs> like, yeah, like I just had to turn the mic on, the sound up. She can she's checked before so she can open the space up. And you were like just like talk at the top for a while. That's Ugh. funny. <laughs> and I feel like I got really lucky as far as feeling success, because it mm -hmm. was like at the moment dating apps had happened, but no one was really talking about it yet. Mm -hmm. And being one of like the lone women of comedy in Greenville, like, you know, it's like no one has, there were, there are so many jokes here that haven't been made. Mm -hmm. So it was like rife material. That's true. And I, and I think I, every time a woman performed at the open mic, 
I noticed that there was this this extra, even in Alchemy too, when they were like the all women shows, there was an extra oomph to the laugh, even if I was laughing, but yeah. certainly from the women there. And it was because, you know, people talk about representation in such a like superficial way. And they'll say like, oh, just to have somebody up there. But it's it's more than that. It is also like, oh, I'm hearing a perspective that I haven't heard enough from or haven't heard at all from. So these jokes are super fresh. Yes. For the people in the audience were like really extra jazzed. And I and, and that must be what it is, that it's like because of that representation, because women women would really be excited about it. And it, that was always really special and nice to see. And I was always like, they're funny. <laughs> like, you know, this is normal. Listen, uh, I've been saying for a long time, women are funny. It's such a, like, I. it was a, I've heard from other women who are in the scene that there was a boys club that I wasn't really so aware of. And it was because guys would like say something just to the woman after a set and, and be kind of shitty. And I had no idea until I was like living up here. So there was nothing like I could do about it. Nothing to be um, done. Yeah. It was just like years later when I heard about it. So I'm sorry that that sort of experience was going on. Especially it's... when you're funnier than Yes. Like the guys who were saying shit. It's like, yeah, but you're not funny. She is. You know, I truly, it was, it was like in a lot of ways, like pretty benign. It's like, unfor like un just the unfortunate day-to-day -day stuff of like, mm -hmm. they're either asking you out or really giving you notes on their joke, on your jokes that were already successful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, what a dream. I did have one guy who told everybody I'd stolen a joke from him, which was so funny because the joke was about like being a woman and worrying about being murdered. And it's such a very specific. Yeah. He's like, that's my joke. I've been saying that for a while. I'm like, good, 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 good. <laughs> I'm sure that was not true. But it's also just like, what are it's all the scene is so small. Like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Yeah. There was a guy who did steal my joke once. And I I had told it earlier in the night, maybe even before he got there. His full name. I don't remember his name. Yeah. He only came out a handful of times. And I thought he had a weird vibe. But I can't re remember at all what the joke was. But it was one of those sort of, isn't it weird when people say this sort of things? Like that kind oh, of stuff. Yeah. And so when he did the joke, it was pretty much, it was identical, pretty identical but he was like, isn't it weird when people say this? And it was like, like, do you think that? I, I just remember thinking or saying to the person next to me, yeah, they realized it when I said it to them earlier. <laughs> like, like oh my I God. stole my joke. And it was like, and the, the person next to me was the one who was like, that's your joke, Jason. Like, it was an obvious steal. Yeah. I don't know of any other situation where somebody stole someone's joke, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm just forgetting something. But like, it's nuts that that guy would say that you stole his joke when the yeah. whole premise is about being a woman. <laughs> like, yeah. Leave it to a man to say something. Dumbass really? like that. like, okay, that's fun. Yeah, it's but the scene was, you know, what I like about that scene is like, boy, you could get so much stage time and it cost mm -hmm. you nothing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, me. now you're in a big city. You know, we yeah. got so much stage time. And sometimes maybe even got a little scratch. Yes. <laughs> and yes. like could get paid. And then you move to a big city 
and it's mics and you got to pay to get there. Sometimes you got to pay to perform and it's just not as fun. You don't get paid to do the show a lot of times. And that's the world we live in, in the big cities. You know, we were, we were so lucky. So lucky. Like I missed the day. There was like, I had gonna show in Atlanta and one of the shows I'd gotten to do, they gave me like $150. I was like, let's go. And the, yeah, they, nice. I was like, they gave me 300 and I was like, okay, I have to move to a big city because I have made it now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> yeah, that change, like a lot of people say, like, oh, is it tough being a, a bigger fish or a big fish in a small pond and then going to a big pond? To me, the main thing that sticks out is like, how much time you can actually get. Yeah. <laughs> like you got to really consider. It's not like I lived a two minute car ride from most of the places I was performing and in Greenville in town. And it just wasn't a hassle. And like, it felt like a hassle to drive up to Asheville maybe because it's like you're driving up a mountain, but you well, know, you drive back down so late, I think no, was not, no, oh, not yeah. down the mountain at 2 AM. Right. Yeah. Oh gosh. But there were so many Asheville people. I loved all the Asheville people who would come down like regularly. And it's like, wow, like, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I don't go up there all the time like you do. Well, I I didn't go up there all the time. I didn't like, you know what I didn't like? But I they didn't treat me like, oh, my God, she's here. This is what an honor. <laughs> I literally would have to call people I knew in the area to be like, can you just come tell the host of this thing that you know me? But it's a time. <laughs> It was a time, you know, there's like right at the beginning for me, there was like a lot of special stuff that went on and made, made a lot of nice, wonderful friendships. And then you move to a big city and you go to the mic and you don't know anyone and no one's trying to talk to you. <laughs> so it's like, oh, OK, I, well, I don't know what it's like in L.A. How is the scene going from a place like Greenville to a place like Los Angeles yeah. where it's really like career focused there? It's well, let me say this to the listeners. This is not the place to start. That's what everyone will tell you. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of people who started there and they're like, well, that's rough. It's rough business. I like I had like I had good jokes. I knew that I was good at the thing already. So I got here just before the pandemic and nobody, mm. nobody would talk to me at these mics. But I would get up and mm. I would crash and the host would say something like, and that's how it's done, which and I was like, I'm never going to make friends in this town. And then the pandemic happened. And I think like, and there are still bad rooms. Do not get me wrong by any, by any stretch of the imagination. But I think that like, there were more, con like more conscious rooms have been built. Mm. So there are like rooms where women, non-binary, BIPOC people, like these are spaces for those people to perform in and, 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 ha and foster community. And so those are the mics I like to attend. Mm. I don't like to attend mics where it's, you know, uh, as slotted and you're the only woman there like I think in a lot of ways comedy has come far and in these small microscope spaces we fall back into every bingo card of bad behavior you yeah. Could have. yeah yeah but overall I think it's a good scene that's cool yeah. yeah that was the 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 main things were like the attendance is going to be different than you expect when you go to the big city, because like the assumption is, oh, it's a big city. Big comedy is like people know about New York City comedy. They know about L.A. comedy. So the crowds must be great. 
no, you still got to struggle to get people to come out the shows. Yeah, you <laughs> That's do. That's the reality. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, it's easier, like, on a random Monday and at no expectations, doing that open mic, there would be a decent crowd there. Yeah, there definitely but could here, be. But here, it might just be you and the other comics. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, that's, there's a real chance of that. There, there are a few mics here in Los Angeles, names I won't give you, over, but that are open mics. So you are seeing like 20 comics, but the area itself doesn't have a lot of comedy. So you are getting just like walk-in people, hmm. you know, you know, anywhere from five to like 10, 15 audience members at an open mic. Oh, man. So nice. So nice. But a rarity. Yeah. I, I guess I wonder what the fix is if you want to put on a show like how do you really get people out in any in a way that's not like well you just have to pound the pavement and hand out flyers you have to pound the pavement. i mean like <laughs> yeah, pounding the pavement is a little different now mm -hmm. but uh you know like i was talking to people about producing and and, and advertisements and and you know instagram ads and people have to see stuff like nine times before, before they'll think about purchasing it so it's really just like having your stuff out there and available. Mm -hmm. And then if and when it's successful, word of mouth is, you know, great. But it's just yeah. getting yeah. those ones in. Yeah. I get, someone told me to start a room here and, or start, start a mic here. And uh, it was Justin Williams. It was very funny and very nice. Yes. And I was like, I know I could host a hell out of a show and do a great job here. But my concern is having a consistent audience because I don't want to do a thing where like it would be nice if, if if there was like an open mic that actually had an audience. Yes. But the only way you could really do that is if you had people with credits on the show. I guess so. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, open mic I was at didn't have that. But what it did have was like it had a zero tolerance for bullshit. So if you mm. were saying something racist or homophobic, mm -hmm. like you would be like foghorned off the stage hmm. and like there's a lot of empowerment given to the audience to be like you could say you don't like it and and that's perfect too i don't know yeah and i think young people want to do stuff young people mm -hmm. i said because i'm in the same age range look my mom recently told me when i told her that conan was 60 she said oh he's young so i'm counting that as making me <laughs> extra young yes. i am also very young yeah, we are young people. We are young people. I'm a, I'm a child, basically. A baby. <laughs> a baby. So I think people just have to know. I don't know about New York. I can't speak to it. Because like here, I'm like, if it's a backyard, I'll go hang out in it. You yeah. know? Yeah. So There's some good rooms here, but the good rooms are all like name people. They're not mics. Wow. And the fun mics that I've been to which there have been a couple, but just can't regularly go to them because of improv responsibilities. It's still just like mostly comics, but they're attentive and they're, they're like, cool. It felt like the, the one that was, I don't think it's going on anymore, but it's up the street from me. And it felt like going to no expectations, you know, like even though I didn't know those guys before. So it was, it was a nice situation, but then I had like, practices and the day that they do it so like oh, i can't go to this anymore yeah but uh, i would have kept going to that probably like at least sporadically just to just to keep sharp but did you notice 
anything about having to structure jokes differently or write differently when you moved to LA? I get, yes. Oh, yes. I have felt that my jokes had to be sharper because a lot of the spaces you're working new material in are just in front of comics and like surprising comics. It's very different. Right, right, right. Right. And that, that can make them bulletproof though. Yes. But I do. Sometimes I'm like, I'm working too hard. I'm working too hard up here. Cause then you get in front of a show and you're like, I can't believe this off the cuff line. I was like, I knew, I knew this would work. I knew it would work, but it would never work in a space in which you're trying it. You know? Oh, Uh, that's interesting. So you mean like the reverse of what I was talking about, where it's like, uh, or maybe I'm misunderstanding, but you're saying you're what you're saying is there is situations where like in in Greenville, it would have been too much for the room. Yes, I could see that. I could see that because when it like the open mic, at least there had a certain chill vibe and open mics tend to have a chill vibe that if you come in like a club comic, it can be too much you could overpower the room yeah i just went back to greenville to visit my family who i love for the record i have the best time with them and i was like let me just go i i had just been doing shows all month in los angeles and was like let me see if this stuff if this kind of content works in these like greenville spaces and it was like too fast too Mm. many jokes per minute maybe probably a little too raunchy for the room. I think perspective definitely affects the room. But I mean, outside of that, it sounds like even just the pace can can be so yeah. different than than uh, what people are used to at an open mic. It's true. Oh, and I don't have good pacing. Anyway, I think the thing <laughs> I'm going to hear my whole life is just to be more patient from mm-hmm. my parents to my therapist to people who are giving <laughs> notes and stand up. <laughs> hate to see themes, you know, hate to see themes in your life. <laughs> I kind of feel like that's the that's one of the like downsides of being a stand-up is you start seeing those patterns or like being a comic in general you start seeing the patterns of behavior because you're analyzing everything all the time for your jokes and for your comedy that then you start noticing it in your day-to-day life and you're like here to <laughs> again uh yeah i all the time and i won't change <laughs> <laughs> well i mean like you know you it's like a tool that you need and once you turn it off it could be hard to turn back on so you kind of just need to leave it on and just like pick your moments when you're gonna address it <laughs> That's <laughs> if i'm at the dinner table maybe i don't say anything yeah <laughs> <laughs> but I, the rest of the time i guess i can just write it down and that's true she just say it on stage I don't know. I haven't thought about approaching stand-up again, but I like hosting. Okay. So, and I feel like I'd have to have sharper jokes if I host. But, like, I one thing I do think here and in probably in L.A. as well is that there are people who learn how to, they take classes for stand-up even. That's, like, become more of a common thing, and there's a structure and I think that structure is very beneficial to like having a right pace. And, uh, but I also think that it sort of informs the audience like, oh, this is what comedy is. But if you go to a place where that information isn't as prevalent, then the audiences maybe don't pick up on it as easily. Interesting. I wonder. 
I wonder if that's part of the reason why when you when you go back to Greenville or a place like that and do a mic where audiences are not, maybe that's the pace thing that's throwing the audience off. Maybe. I mean, a little bit. I'm like, it might be our values are different in some ways. But I used to feel yeah. a lot of like a great sense of pride because I'm like, I came to L.A. and I would hear things like, oh, those those jokes maybe wouldn't work for middle America, for lack of a better term. But I was like, I know they worked. I know that I have. Oh, One of interesting. Yeah. In- yeah, that's you know? a weird thing. Like, because I'm certainly not saying that it's, well, the comedy is just better here. The stand up is right. better here. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is audiences in we I talked about this with Harrison before of of alchemy comedy about what audiences in Greenville know about improv. And early on in alchemy, they had to do a little bit of extra work to explain what they were about to see. Whereas if you go to Chicago and New York, you don't have to explain that before an improv show because the audience knows it. But it wasn't as common of a thing. So, like, I wonder if some of those structures and formulas also have an extra hindrance <laughs> to getting across huh. to people who I aren't as know. used to that. It's hard to say. I think that because there are spaces where you are up, you're at those theaters, you're at those venues, and you're clearly performing to performers. But there are also mm. as many spaces where you're like, okay, like these people live in LA, which means they know about entertainment but they don't work in it. Their life's right. in it. So, you know, you see both audiences a lot of the times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I certainly <laughs> think that in Asheville, things were a little, you know, it was a much more artistic town. So That's I think, true. I think it, I wonder if there'd be less of an issue for you going to Asheville to an open mic. Than well, listen, I went there. Oh, I was hot stuff. Oh, <laughs> I got a lot of good feedback after those things. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's nice I, no one hears i just and i don't need the pat on the back i do but i <laughs> so when you moved out to la what drove you out there i just was like i felt like this is the kind of career i wanted to be pursuing mm-hmm. i had done so much comedy in greenville stand up improv sketches you know i was doing it like almost every night of the week and i didn't mm-hmm love the work I was doing as a day job and I was like okay well if I'm not if I'm not interested in investing in the, in the work I'm doing to maintain a living mm-hmm. then I have to move to a market where the thing I want to do you can make a living at ah uh, yeah yeah I felt like Atlanta in 2018 2019 like maybe it hadn't it, there was a small comedy scene but not a, it wasn't like a big thing yet you know not yeah, a lot of studios yeah, yeah. were doing work down there it felt mm-hmm. like um and yes it was like new york chicago or la and i had previously been in new york but i hated it hated new york (laughs) hated it everything's affordable but rent why the thing (laughs) let me just the thing i do like about new york is like you could walk into pretty much any nail salon and get a an affordable nice mani-pedi like in los angeles you better know your people (laughs) i didn't i didn't know that yeah, you can't just go to anyone because it's going to cost you so much money and you may not like it at the end. Yeah, we're salon rich here. Yeah, <laughs> true. So, and I had family in Los Angeles, so I was like, great, I will move there. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. how I got. And then the weather's great. Have you the been? The weather's great. I was about to say, like, I like all the different stuff here. And it, that's that's the thing that always amazes me about New York is you can just go to a different neighborhood and feel like you're in a completely different place. Sometimes a completely different country. 
Yes, yes, that is true. I mean, here too, you just have to drive through it. There are different <laughs> neighborhoods, but less. It's less mm -hmm. of a, you don't run into people the way you do in New York, right? Like right. everyone's like, at their destination. It, like I had to adjust to like, cause my brain would alert, like it'd be 11 p.m. I'm like, I'm in Burbank. I'm walking from a show to my car and I'm like, nobody's on the road. Like, and it would feel very <laughs> fucking dead. Like, why is nobody on the street? <laughs> coming from like a densely populated foot traffic area, you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, that sounds like during the pandemic, like the first year of the pandemic, walking down the street and there are no cars on the road and I can just cross the street when the lights are green for crossing traffic. And I'm like, I, I can't ever do this at 3 p.m. during normal conditions. It felt like a ghost town. It felt like in a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, um, I walked to the strip at one point and it was empty. Yeah, yeah. Some people did that in Times Square and it was empty and it was just like bizarre. So bizarre. Not that oh. I want to remind people of that very sad time. <laughs> like, it's all bad. It's all bad. Right. We're um, we're a couple years behind, past it now, and we're better. Yeah. We're better, baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it was a nice time to be in LA as far as like exploring cities because yeah. you could get anywhere in your car because there was no traffic. Right, right. You know? And I listen, I had to work in person throughout that whole time. So I like had one of those things I was allowed to work and drive and whatever. Okay. So, <laughs> but it was nice. I was like, oh yeah, I never, I love Portos. It's nowhere near me, it's not in my neighborhood. But during that time, I was like, I'm going to hit this up all the time. It takes 20 minutes to get there and back. Let's do this. So. Yeah, I wonder if people, because sometimes you'll hear someone say like, oh, you live on the neighborhood you live in in, in L.A. I just never go there because it's going to take all day to get there. Yes. And it's not like distance wise far. No. Yeah, it's maximum like 15 miles, 22 miles. And you're like, it's going to take me an hour to get there and 25 <laughs> minutes to get home. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's funny. I have not been to LA anytime recently. I, I don't know. know what the scene is like. I need to go out there. I'm curious what the different scenes are like. Uh, I'm curious if you've done a show with people I love, like Milana Weintraub or something like that. <laughs> but it's also like everything here is like possible. It's totally possible. Like, yeah, yeah. sometimes you're just in a room, and you're like, oh my God, we're on TV, TV right now. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, Okay, no, be cool. And uh yeah, popping in to do a set or whatever. So what yeah. are you mostly doing nowadays? Is it stand up? Um, yeah, it's mostly stand up, most mostly stand up. I'm just dragging my free feet through the groundlings program. I've like finished their improv and I haven't done their writing portion yet. Because okay. it's more intense, the stakes are higher. You, it's like one and done. Mm, and they either like you complete it and they let you continue, or they don't. Oh, interesting. There are no second chances. Yeah. And that's at Groundlings. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. What about? Didn't you do some Second City stuff? Then you do you did some Second City stuff, right? I did Second City stuff. Yeah, I finished the whole thing, but you know they're no longer in Los Angeles, which is such a drag. Oh, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. I love Second City. I love being there. And I like to write. As my dad would say, I'm a better writer than performer. But the <laughs> See, that is not the kind of feedback that you need to keep going with something. You know, well, the bar is so high that like mm -hmm. for other people, that would be a withering. <laughs> I'm a great performer, just not as good as my writer. <laughs> I got it. I got it. <laughs> 
what what differences do you notice between Second City and the Groundlings? The Groundlings, as far as how they approach writing. Great question. I don't know because for for me, I feel like a lot of the Groundlings work I am writing about right now just ends up being like monologues, like really character analysis, mm-hmm. and then and then putting these very hyper specific, you know, interesting characters into a sketch scene. Whereas at Second City, you would do the improv, you would find the thing that was funny, and then you find a like, then you would go off and intentionally write that. Now that we know what the funny thing is, now take intentional steps towards building a sketch for it, if that makes sense. Okay, cool. I've never taken classes at either, and I I've heard people describe the Groundlings improv structure to be more focused on character. Yes. Where Second City's improv, I think Martin Morrow was the only person who like really defined Second City's approach for me. And it was, it sounded like it was a very like aggressive, for lack of a better term, going for the funny thing or, or your take and your deal in a really aggressive way. Again, not the yeah. right word, but, but like you're really gunning for that. Yeah. I think you can't say beat a dead horse anymore, but if you were going to use that phrase in a different time, mm-hmm. um, it's that. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. that. And, it's, and then it's getting another horse. So you can do it again. Like that's mm. how. Very interesting. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. The second city is about to come to New York. So maybe I'm I know, about so to find out what, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll have to check out their scene when they get started. They're getting started soon, actually. Yeah, I, mean, I think their opening night is November 16th, I believe. So, oh, wow, real soon. Yeah, looking forward to seeing Thanks. some stuff there. Well, what is next for you? What endeavors are you trying to go for next? Well, so I've been. It's been. I'm glad you asked because uh, now that I went, now that I say it out loud, I'll have to finish doing it. But like, what I've really been doing for the last month is kind of like, pulling together all the jokes I have Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like and just seeing where they sit in a full hour and like really trying to find um or shove a theme through it if you will because I I I recently finding more personal anecdotes for comedy Uh I love I love doing stuff about history and women in history and just like general turns of phrases I think it's so interesting to give my like perspective, how I see the world about these things. But mm-hmm. a lot of feedback I would get here is just like, but how does it connect to you? And so I've been taking more of a personal journey route, but I don't want to lose that stuff. So right. How do you intertwine those things for a full hour? Yeah. That. And then I'm really just trying to put up this like one person show and really hammer that out. Because I used to be all about it when I was doing sketch in Greenville. I was I had such a vision for performance, and here there are so many venues you could do it in. And so now it's like, what do I? What unique thing do I want to do here in a one person show? Oh, very cool. You know, it makes a lot of. I'm I'm seeing the connection between how people are approaching a lot of stand up now, where they are being more personal. Yeah, that's what people. That's the thing that's going on now. I've heard people kind of push for it for a while, but it it's now really taking on, <laughs> taking a whole lot. Yeah. People are really being very personal. And I, some people have even said the plus side to that is it's harder to steal. But as you experience, 
that experience. Uh, someone does think that they can <laughs> you can steal their joke when your joke is about being a woman. Well, I, and just the credit actually is all he ever tried <laughs> to steal. But uh, yeah, I think I mean I think that we've been like trained like we want this like extra intimacy just because we are so visually accessible to each other. Mm. Media and yeah, so I think that like when an audience sees you not only do they want to know you, but they want to know, like, can I trust you? Or, or are you going to be somebody I find out hits women in mm-hmm. two months, you know? And I think that, like, some of the better... And I and I, that's not me, listeners. You have to believe me. Uh, you, don't hit, you don't hit women? I don't hit oh. women. Hard. No, at all. <laughs> but I think that the cut, like, an, an audience really just wants to be like, can I trust you? Are you going to say something problematic? And Right, right. And the answer is we all we will always say something problematic. There's like a back and forth going on with that right now where people are like, everyone can step in it. Yes. So like, why are we trying to define things based on, well, is this person going to be problematic? Like you could say something and it makes sense to people who think like you, but people who don't could get offended. Yeah. <laughs> and what would keep them from then trying to cancel you if they're if they like going to go there for it? Even though it's yeah. not something that people used to get canceled for, or maybe it's not like the obvious offensive things. Like if you say, if you say hate speech, then like, obviously, but I don't mean that kind of stuff. I mean, just like sharing your own perspective. Someone could be like, someone could take that to mean such and such and such and such. And it's like, wait, but I didn't say any of that stuff. Yeah. Well, I've been, I've been exploring like the thing I kind of feel, and this is not, this is not great language for it because these are new ideas I'm mining, which is like in South Carolina, I very staunchly could tell I'm not a bigot. But in Los Angeles, sometimes I'm like, am I a bigot? Because there's like a progressiveness here that I have not grown up with. Same with New York. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, so sometimes I will say, right, aren't we all bigots? And boy, I can't, can you imagine that people don't like this reception? (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I guess when it comes to that, people are just like, oh, are they about to say this thing that I don't think would be very comfortable for me if I heard them say it? And so it makes people clinch up, which is like not the point of comedy. I guess the the point is the release. And so I guess then like what's the joke to make to get that release once you've clinched them up? Which I think is where like the personal stories come in. Yeah. Like here's this very funny example of me doing this thing Mm -hmm. and you don't. And it's the thing, you hear the story, you you agree on what's funny about it, you and the audience. And then as the person on stage, you then can like communicate the themes of that. And they go, oh, I didn't realize. But yeah, I guess that math adds up too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, yeah it's hard to get there and in touchy subjects. That whole like, oh, you can't make jokes anymore is like, well, yeah, you can. <laughs> like people are doing oh, it. <laughs> like people, people are making those jokes. Like, <laughs> like they're they're people getting a whole room of people to laugh about something that's like, oh, you're not supposed to say that. You know, people can handle things, and yeah. <laughs> I think you don't have to worry about it. We're just saying, don't make jokes about sexual assault, and don't say something you know anti-Semitic or something like that. Other than that, like you know, it's pretty easy to avoid those things. Yeah, it's super easy. But it is, I, it's the, It's always, it's like the ego that would drive you to stand on stage would also mm-hmm. give you the blind mm-hmm. spots of like, I'm sure everyone agrees with me about whatever mm-hmm. this is like, because mm-hmm. no one in your life yet has told you otherwise, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think that 
what can be true for audiences. And maybe we've talked about it. I feel like I was talking about it with Harrison, but it's like, what I feel is less of like cancel culture from an audience when you're in an area that maybe is tricky and more of a, just like a, a collective unease because for 60 minutes, they just wanted to enjoy something. Right. Right. Didn't know. And they don't know. Yeah. They're going to take care of them. Right. 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 That's and, a that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Cuz I think like you can you can always cover the topics that are going to make people uncomfortable, that are yeah. politically charged, but it's like it always costs you something and how mm. much how much are like are you willing to spend for it? So Right. Right. That's how I feel. Right. And, and if you're not kind of aware of the um if you're not aware of how people are feeling sensitive about a subject, yes. then you can easily say something that makes them feel uncomfortable about the whole thing now. It's like they're already they're on edge when you brought up the topic and yes. you meant well, but you didn't realize that there's this other sensitive matter to this. So you end up saying something that got them, you know, that like hurt them in a way. And it's it's that's where it's like, well, I don't know. I can't know everything. Can't know everything. So I, I can obviously offend <laughs> if that's the case. just put people at a, a lack of ease. You know what I mean? Like you just upset them. Right, and right. Just the lack of ease. Yeah. Yeah. And and I like people say, like, well, that's just cancel culture. And it's like, no, it's just people being offended by something and they have the internet and can say it publicly. And then it gets, you know, made yeah. into it maybe a bigger thing than that person meant it to be. But it's you know, it's not like Ashley Gavin yelling at someone to like kill themselves. You know what I mean? Like it's yes, I'm sure that has literally been said from a stage, but it's not the primary right. Like when you're yelling at the person, then you don't have you weren't yeah. trying to make a joke. <laughs> you know, yeah. like you were you were trying to put that person down, and so yeah, I understand why they're offended. I was doing a store. I'm like doing jokes as, about an experience I had where essentially, cause I will not bore you with the details, but essentially I was like, I'm worried for this young traveler who's telling me about their life and the risks they're about to take. And it sounds dangerous. Mm. And, and that the comedy of it on its face is very funny, but I was losing an audience because they were worried. Oh yeah. 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 Like well, what happened to that person? Yeah, and so it was this thing where I had to insert, and I'm still kind of figuring out, just inserting my line of thinking, my like how I would react in this situation, and to ease an audience of like, don't worry, there are things to worry mm -hmm. about in the world, and this five minutes isn't one of them. <laughs> right, right. Another just sort of bizarre thing about comedy is what some people are able to get away with, right? Yeah. Anthony Jeselnik or... Patrice yeah. O'Neill, like there's something about their delivery system that when they say certain things, everyone's going to laugh. But they're if someone else tried to say them, even if they worded it the same and tried to keep the same pace or whatever, something about their delivery system doesn't allow for people laughing at it. You know, it just it's a weird, bizarre nuance about it. It's like, well, if I can't pull this joke off, I just won't do it. Then. Yeah. <laughs> and I that's such a good point, though, Jason, because something in Los Angeles I always feel is like you have to know what you are as a product when you get up and say what you know what I mean? Right, like, right. That's a, it's and I guess that's true for social media, but it's something I never felt in the scene in, in the South, like Charleston, Charlotte. And like, 
this is not, I never had to tell people what my, what I was as a brand and right, right. now, whether that's time or location. Right. And, yeah. And some people's delivery method, I think like if you look like someone who would say something terrible and then you right. do, the audience is not surprised. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. I've heard stories like that where someone's like, I don't buy you saying that. <laughs> you know? yeah, I don't think it works. I just don't see it for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So it's, and honestly, it's like Jimmy Fallon. Like he knows that he's got the vibe that he has. That he's like the fun guy at the party. He wouldn't be good at political humor. Like you don't want that vibe when you want to hear political humor. So like he shouldn't try it. Like people are trying to say like, oh, he needs to do this. And it's like, that is just not his delivery system. What are you doing? Yeah. He can't pull that off. Like he like he's just not that guy. It's like I don't want John Oliver, if you were to like, you know what? He should try to do the thing Jimmy Fallon does, you'd be like, No, he shouldn't. <laughs> like he's so true. I yeah. don't want to see that. <laughs> like I'm not interested. He does a different thing that I like. Yes. Yeah, right. I came here to get this kind of yeah, that's so true. Right. Like I don't want to hear I don't want to hear Garth Brooks saying Beyonce songs like I don't I wouldn't buy it <laughs> I, just, I wouldn't be like this sounds weird <laughs> why is he trying to sing with this that's so true yeah so you know different delivery methods right content and I think I don't know do you find growing hard in the scene I think that's been the hardest thing of like I, that was I think the most frustrating thing was that I was like I don't know how these jokes are doing because no one's paying any attention so I don't know what needs where the thing needs work yes so i'm i was like all right forget it like i'm just not gonna bother <laughs> like I, i'm gonna do improv that's so funny i will because with even with an improv i'm like i feel like maybe my my standards were always high but like i'm like i view performances here with less success rate because i think i don't get up frequently enough yeah yeah i perform to be clear like Three improv shows a month at like minimum. And I'm doing it all the time, but I'm like, not a good, not a good enough rep. Not the best it could be. Yeah. It's hard. Stuff. It's hard to like get the get enough reps in. And when you have other stuff going on, you know, like I have enough going on that's like, uh, I can't and I also didn't want to do the whole night thing where it's like I'm gonna hit this room and then this room and then this room. Um, because it's all night. <laughs> going all over the place i don't do that jason i know people do and in new york it's how could you Maybe, not right. but i decided and i think this is better that i go to mics where i'm going to get a good experience but just like late night shows have different things that you like some mm. mics i go I'm like this is a place where i know i'm going to get the kind of like laughter feedback i need to adjust mm. or like sometimes i go to a mic because i'm like i can get up i can get the practice in and my morale will be high because yeah. it's just a good vibe. Yeah, um, that's that's good to have that variety too, where you can just get up and, and have a good time. Yeah. Um, just, and just like, you know, polish off something. You're like, all right, I know what I'm doing here. I just <laughs> I just wanna yeah. I wanna get on stage so the next time I do this joke, it's not the first time I've done it in a while. Right. Or I just wanna try and just a tag, a new tag on this whole idea. Yeah. So, no, you can't do it in the same space over and over because you just are not getting because they've heard all they've the heard surprise. it. <laughs> right, right. It's hard to like, you know, surprise them with it. 
figure out what the nuance change you need to make. I do feel lucky here. Like I've been here long enough and I've met enough people running rooms that like you can get up. And it's like like, the bad news is like what you need to get better is time, practice and community. Right. (laughs) Right. Well, we've reached the end of the episode, but what is something we can create together? And I'm wondering if it is, if not, actively doing it at least explaining how you would have a joke that you interweave a personal effect into to make it to address that being personal aspect yeah of comedy these days yeah Uh, should we just pick a theme a topic i guess we could i I don't know a funny topic though so i won't i won't give the one that's been on my brain today but (laughs) i don't know maybe we'll need to hear it let me I'll I'll pitch you two, and if you don't like them, I have to hear yours, which is like... Okay, okay. Um, now that I said it, it is that thing. It's like, what's he referring to? Referring to. Well, I don't know I, how to make my thing funny because it's such a, like, touchy subject, but go ahead. I don't... Well, this one I feel like might not work because this is not a visual medium, but, like, mm. I have... I'm trying to make this idea funny, which is, like, I have cop energy. It's <laughs> funny. It's extra funny if you see me and know me. And <laughs> stories policing sibling behavior uh-huh, uh-huh but if like but obviously a cab aren't we and uh that's, that's the thing like how do you i also have this like idea that i think that we should all live close to water you like you live in new york i live in los mm-hmm. angeles we're very yeah. close to water and that's why we live such like fun and fruitful lives and why <laughs> near water yeah yeah because like everyone's upset in nebraska because it's hot and it's flat and there was no water and it's just corn husks everywhere and like florida there are no other states that have florida men texas should and could not enough water okay it's it's the only peninsula and that's why there are so many people out of pocket there this is my this is my big conspiracy push okay that's funny i don't know um, but yeah, then it's like, well, how do you fit your, who you are as a person into that? Yeah, that would be tough. Yeah, well, I grew up doing cross-country road trips. Mm-hmm. I think this, I like, we took, I took a road trip with my aunt and uncle in their electric vehicle because progressiveness. And it took, it took much longer. I'm very excited to have road trips that have, what I think about the electric car industry and what it's got going for it is like a revamp of like stops along the state travels uh-huh. that disappeared because you have to charge your car in these areas. But I was frustrated. It was hot. I was overdressed. It was the summertime. So I like, this is probably something I would talk about. We, we were driving to Michigan. So our destination had water. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Florida. I'm just like, I'm like, how do I massage this idea about water? Mm-hmm. Maybe the initial pitch is like, it's it's a lot of math. It's a lot of math to do. I'm, I think my initial pitch to that is like, there's nothing scarier than the ocean. The great, <laughs> wide, wide, deep, unknown. And it's very humbling. I think that fear can be humbling. And so no one's bigger than the game. It's how I feel about water. But you start driving through Kansas and Kentucky and you're like, I got it. I know who I, I, I've got. I'm can be in charge here. He's like, <laughs> listen, everyone needs to listen to me. This and I. So I don't know. Maybe this. This is the thing I would do. I say it works. Yeah. The thing I had that I just don't know how you could possibly make funny is how I'm noticing in the way a lot of national discussions are playing out that they're very similar. They're they're reminding me of what was happening a few years ago when 
we would say Black Lives Matter and people would be like, well, all lives matter. Or, well, what about this? So it's not funny, but I'm just noticing that. And I don't know how, I mean, certainly I could make the point and it might be like a clapter situation, but I don't want to go for that. But Listen, I don't know how to make it funny. I think any reaction is a good reaction. <laughs> so, I don't know. Boy, clapter, like they didn't walk out. So that's beautiful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the national discussion you're talking about is the crisis with Palestine and Israel. Or just in general? Well, there's it's kind of in general. I mean, I guess I the there are a lot of different when it comes to Israel Palestine, there are a lot of different speakers. So it is sort of like, who are you referring to? Oh gosh, there was another topic that people we're like not sure where people are coming from. Mm -hmm. You're aware that people can say a statement and not mean anything by it, and there's other people who are saying it in a in a shitty way, and you're like, I'm not sure where this person's coming from. Yeah. Where it's just like what can we agree on? Um, <laughs> let's just find something. But in general, I find it in general, people yeah. are constantly saying like, yeah, but what about this situation? It's like, okay, I'm talking about something else. And I'm being very specific about it. Like if I, like I'm saying black people are getting disproportionately killed when they're unarmed. And even when they're like not committing a crime and, the people who do it are just getting away with it and yeah. it's like our lives are being discarded like they don't matter and i'm just saying black lives matter so why is there why is there a counter to that statement right and i feel like there are a lot of people who do that i guess the only way like if you were going to do a joke like that you would the thing that you marry it with the example you give would have mm -hmm. to be something that's not serious it would have to be something like yes you know, you know about relationships or it's like well my wife when i say i want this she's like well what about like like <laughs> if i say hey you left you left the sponge in the sink again well i don't like how you put the towel on the, it's like i'm not we're not talking <laughs> about the towel <laughs> i think and i think this the, the same level of agree that, that a wet towel on a bed you might as well be starting a war <laughs> right 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 <laughs> so that's where we're at where it's like can, can we address the sponge right now? Because that is a problem. Yes, I agree with you. I think the other thing that can be true about those conversations mm -hmm. is it's a little like devil's advocate without saying those words. Yeah. Right. Like, the counterpoint to what you're saying, even though it has absolutely no effect on me whatsoever, and I don't have to live like you have to live, is <laughs> cops <laughs> get killed. Like, oh, all right. Yes, okay. and it's wrong. Right. But that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Like these... Yeah, I'm just I'm just noting that this tomato is being treated poorly, and I know there are other colored tomatoes. I'd love to talk about the one that we've been talking about and showing in media and villainizing for decades. If we could do that, we right. can just talk about this tomato. Yeah, and then you just have to, I guess, map it. Like, how do you talk about the non-serious subject in a way that plays out like the. Yeah all lives matter sort of discussion you know yeah, i guess that's I mean, the that's the technique to make it palatable to the average person yeah and that i feel like it's because it's, if i was going to talk about black lives matter in this way because i don't have first-hand accounts it would have to be very mapped over a true uh life event in mm -hmm. my life that was you know a very like 
Hassan Minhaj event, if you will. <laughs> you want to you want a Hassan Minhaj story? Is that what you're saying? No, I just well, you know how I this is how I feel about that. There are there are parts of the story I am telling that absolutely occurred to me uh -huh. that, that I experienced, but maybe not in this one hour on this one day did all of these things happen to me. Right. Somebody pointed out like, yeah, everyone's going to say last night I saw this girl and it's like it happened three months ago. Like right. we all do that whenever someone's like, I just saw this. And it's like, no, you did like they didn't just see this, but it's way easier to set up a joke that way. than you go I saw one time like, you know, a few months ago, <laughs> like that's not that's just not a good setup. Yeah, it's poor craft. It's like it's all about the economy, like the right, right, right. of the word. Yeah, right. So, there are levels that you're like, hey, this may at the risk <laughs> of actually offending people who've had this experience well you know because huh. i have a twin i have a twin who has kids i do not have kids but for for like this the, the sake of that experience and describing it i will remove her from the story it'll be secondhand experience and then i'll go i was with the kids when this happened uh-huh i don't well i don't write stuff in a way that i'm like let me explore this idea that ha uh -huh. like what it potentially has right i'm like what can I, this experience happened, what can I use here to, to amplify the perspective I have? Yeah, right. So it's just a different approach. If I, if I could approach things like that, I would. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think more comics should do it. I think more male comedians should be talking about the experience they had getting an abortion with their partner. <laughs> just lie about a few things. <laughs> There it is. <laughs> Thanks for being on the podcast, Devin. Thank you for having me. Good times, good times. Always a great chat with Evan Harris. And you can follow Evan on Instagram at Evan Jade Harris. You can also see her do shows all over Los Angeles. She has some standing dates every second Sunday at The Crow and every fourth Saturday at The Ledge. Also, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod. And subscribe to our YouTube channel at There It Is. And follow me on Twitter at Jason Farr Jokes and Instagram at Jason Farr Picks. Also, subscribe to our Comedy Lifestyle newsletter and support us if you can. We have a Patreon and a PayPal. Go to thereitispod.com for newsletter and support info. Links in bio. We have a fun episode coming up next week. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. Mm -hmm.